Well, thank you, brother, for that. That's, that's very challenging and very true. Um, yeah, it's, I'm struck with <clears throat> that one part that you read. Um, you know, Christ is very serious about our lives. He says, these things we are supposed to put out of our lives. We're not supposed to uh, accept them in our lives and to just feed feed them. They're not even supposed to be mentioned once in a, in a Christian's life, the, the slandering and the uh, unforgiveness and uh, all of those other things that you mentioned there. And that we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And uh, <clears throat> I'm just reminded that You know, just reminded what what gets me up in the morning, what uh, what excites me. Does when someone reads the Word of God, does it even hit me anymore, or does it sink in, or is my heart uh, cold? Would I rather be somewhere else doing something else? And I think if if that's the case, um, if we're just here to occupy a space then uh, we need to do some serious uh, heart searching um, of our own lives and what is going on with our hearts because it's like a brother shared that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit if we have submitted our lives to him and uh, God is not he will not be mocked we have to remember that <clears throat> uh, what we reap will sow. So I was um, challenged or I was touched with Brother Josh's uh, testimony here on Thursday. It's just good to see that uh, God is working in people's lives, that the Holy Spirit is still drawing people to himself and it made me also look at my own lives, uh, my own life, and uh, <clears throat> some of the things that that I continuously struggle with, and to analyze it, and to just analyze your heart and see what, um, how you're doing in everyday life, in family, with family, with work, whatever it is. It's like. <clears throat> Brother Randy shared, what am I doing when uh, I'm alone? What comes out there? So basically, it's a message on things that, that I struggle with. It's a message on self-centeredness. And just uh, becoming too consumed with needing things or wanting things for yourself to the point where you don't notice what's going on around you. And uh, I just want to begin by saying that one day, believe it or not, this life will cease to exist. And it's... it's uh, quite something to think about that as, as you look around 
on a life that uh, this is all we've ever known, this life, this world. It's, that's it. This is what we've known. Um, the things that we've done, the things that we've built, the, uh, the relationships that we've uh, made, it's one day going to be over. Our family, our friends, our community, our work and our efforts, it will come to an end. And everything we know and think as normal in everyday life will change and there will be a new reality. There will be a, a new heaven and a new earth. And when that uh, last trumpet call will sound, will we be ready to meet our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it says that all of this will happen in the twinkling of an eye. So it's quite a thought to just, as you look around, to know and to understand that this life will one day be no more and will be in a new reality. So in general, Mankind is a creature of habit. We love feeling safe and secure. We want things to just go on as they've been going on before. We don't want our world shaken up or changed. Anyway, if you're like me, I don't really like change. We don't want our personal spaces rearranged. We don't like dramatic changes our worlds. We like things um, the way that they are. And, uh, but sometimes life throws us some curveballs. You can see that things do change. And if you think about uh, wars and uh, things like that, they change things. They change things a lot for some people. Hardships change a lot of things. Sickness changes a lot of things. And these things are, for the most part, forced upon us. We don't desire them, but they happen nonetheless. And we uh, generally have this tendency that we don't want to be disturbed, challenged, or dealt with. We sometimes carry around these, these large signs that read, keep out, stay away or leave me alone and just let me live the way in my life the way that I see fit. Let me live my life with my own understanding and by my own morals. And who are you to tell me what to do? And I've seen that I can easily be that person. But it comes at a price, with a price. And... Uh, we can ultimately reach a place in our lives where no matter what a person brings to us spiritually or what life experiences we face, even it doesn't matter how big or small it is, we can come to a place where the world around us just grows dark and dim. And every time, every time we uh, have a, an experience in life, whether it is with a person or whether it is with uh, just uh, daily events, our minds can automatically go to this thought, what's in it for me? What can I profit from this? Or what 
or will I receive recognition or praise from this? And I found this to be pretty true in my life when I'm in that state, that you can come to a, to a state in your life where no matter what happens or what is brought up or what you experience, your first thought is always on yourself. What's in it for me? What will I gain from this? What do I get? And we slowly can become these uh, Ebenezer Scrooges, living a self-absorbed, a self-centered existence. And our vision shrinks to the point where we just see the needs of one person, that's ourself. And it can happen. It's happened to many people before us. And uh, Second Peter chapter 3, verses 9 to 13, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And this is the reality I was talking about, that this day will come as a thief in the night, and the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. So it's showing us that we better have our priorities right, and that that um, we can be deceived into um, just looking for experiences and... Uh, good times and whatever it is that we're looking for at times. And we have to be careful that we understand that this will be the reality. This is the surest reality that is going to come. And we only have one life to live. Uh, we all know this poem. It says, only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And it teaches us that this life is not about ourselves or what we can gain for ourselves. It is as Christ put it when this uh, lawyer came before him and asked him, what is the most important thing in life? And a lot of people ask this question. And he put it very simply, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm afraid the world, maybe even ourselves, can lose sight of this, of this vision, or 
of just showing forth as love to others. I have this um, this short story, and I've read it before, but I, I feel it's a very good um, illustration. It illustrates the point very well. It says, one summer in the 1940s, Nabokov and his family stayed with James Laughlin in Alta, Utah, where Nabokov took the opportunity to enlarge his collection of butterflies and moths. Nabokov's fiction has never been praised for its compassion. He was single-minded, if nothing else. One evening at dusk, he returned from his day's excursion, saying that during hot pursuit near Bear Gulch, he heard someone groaning most piteously down by the stream. Did you stop? His host, Laughlin, asked him. No, I had to get the butterfly. The next day, the corpse of an aged prospector was discovered in what has been renamed in Nabokov's honor, Dead Man's Gulch. So while people around us are dying, how often we chase butterflies. And... Uh, I can, I can definitely see this illustration in my life that if we're conf consumed with our own hobbies, with our own uh, ways of doing things, and we don't want change in our lives, we can so easily be to the point where we're also uh, chasing butterflies and we miss, uh, in a sense, dying people around us. We we miss what God may be showing us um, about reaching out to others and uh, helping them in a time of need. And oftentimes when we think of self-centeredness, we think of a different person. We don't think of ourselves, but someone else, someone we may even know. We often don't look at or consider ourselves as self-centered. So I have this question. When you think of the word self-centered, what comes to mind? Some people say selfishness or all about you, taking pleasure in yourself, concerned about your needs and wants, self-indulgence. And self-centeredness means to be, it does mean to be concerned solely with one's own desires, needs, or interests. And it, it can be described in this way. I have a few points here. The first one is, wants to be the center of attention. Now, you can't be um, a self-centered person without, you know, wanting to be the center of attention. There are other attributes that uh, you don't, they don't all have to fit. Number the second one, thinks only about their feelings. Number three, thinks they are better or wiser than others. Number four, feels their problems are more urgent than other people's problems. Number five, wants things to go their way. Number six, is often controlling, deceptive, or manipulative. Number seven, they have no room for true love of another person. Number eight, they trust themselves more than they trust God. So basically that last one is to basically tell God that uh, I don't really need you. I can handle this on my own. It's kind of like, if you think about it, it's kind of like Peter in the Bible, that God allowed him to 
to do what he did, but he really couldn't use him until he came to an end of himself. He allowed him to make those mistakes, and some of them are pretty serious. It, uh, denying Christ is not a, uh, just something that's it's it's something that's very serious and some people don't even they don't return from that but peter had been given the grace to return from from denying christ and you could some people would look at that and say well isn't that blasphemy um but he had been given the grace to overcome that to come to an end of himself in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, it says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, of any comfort of love, of any fellowship of the Spirit, of any bowels of, and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man to his own things, but every man also to the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So, you could paraphrase this. this it's simple enough to understand, that a child can understand it. You can paraphrase it in saying, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being united in spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be of one accord and of one mind. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. So, and it's not, sometimes those, these things are not naturally in us. We have to come to Christ and ask him um, for these things, to help us to, to see what is going on around us. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. And that's, for me, that this is one of the challenging ones. Putting myself aside and help others get ahead. Because I'm the type of guy that if you have something or you get something, I, it's, I, I, I need it too. Or it should be given to me as well. And uh, this idea of, you know, always doing everything in fairness. And I don't think that it's not necessarily, there's, there is necessarily anything wrong with that. We should deal fairly with people. But it's also, if you are just concerned about yourself and you're a self-centered person, this is what you're going to latch on to. And it's the same idea of just, um, hey, you're getting it, so I should get it too. Instead of, hey, you, if, if, you, if you get this, that's fine. I mean, I'm happy for you. I'm glad for you. And uh, I'm not necessarily meaning um, earthly possessions or things like that. It's in, spiritual, in a spiritual sense as well. If you see a person 
um, with uh, gaining more responsibility or just um, in spiritual matters, you see them advancing, um, you can become jealous over that as well. But are we willing to do what this person has done to get to that point? And we recently talked about some of these things um, in our leadership meetings. Uh, the, what our heart is supposed to be like as, as leading out, that we're not supposed to be competing or competitive in that by serving, we get to these places. And we have to uh, just give of ourselves. And we're all very familiar with this next story here in the Bible, the rich man and Lazarus. And again, it's, it's, been, it's been talked about a lot, it's been preached about a lot, but what is, what is the reality? What do we see in it? Do we, do we see ourselves in that? And we, we can look at the rich man and say, he most definitely was self-centered. But the question is, are there similarities in our life between the rich man and myself? Because we can be the same way. We can make all kinds of excuses. And I'm pretty sure that if you think about that rich man, he had all kinds of excuses there why he wouldn't help Lazarus. And um, he fared sumptuously. Every day was clothed in fine linen. And I don't think that's any different than what we are. And but Lazarus was laid at his gate full of sores, and the rich man ignored him. In today's day and age, I don't know how we would look at that, but we'd probably say, why don't you go to the hospital? They can help you. And I always remember what uh, Brother Ralph shared here in a, in a message. He says, are we willing to get our hands dirty in places where we will probably not get a return? Are we willing to just pour ourselves out in those, in those um, cases where we know we will never receive thanks for it? So we have to remember these things, that we can make a lot of excuses, especially in today's day and age with technology and uh, with uh, the different things that we have at our disposal to help a person along, whatever it may be, we can just brush things off very easily. But we have to remember also that this, the final judgment, I've used this a lot in previous messages, in Matthew 25. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, the goats on, a, on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. 
And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we, we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and gave you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visited you? The king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. And to the other side, the left, he says the, the converse. He says, you didn't feed me when I was hungry. You didn't clothe me when I was naked. You didn't give me drink when I was thirsty. You didn't visit me when I was in prison. And uh, he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. And, okay, we can look at this, this verse here or these verses and say, well, we have to do exactly everything the way it's supposed to be here. But no, I think this is a principle because you can see it's a principle because the, the righteous ask the Lord, when did we do this for you? So they weren't, you can see that they were not out to, they were not out to make a name for themselves. They were not out to do these things to be seen. It actually, it came from a true and a genuine heart of compassion, of just <clears throat> following after Christ. And like Brother Randy shared, is a genuine faith that flows out of you. So, and it's again, this, it's, it's important to, to see what he said here. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, the least of these, who, who are these? In our minds, we, we look at this as possibly uh, struggling Christians, you know, but I don't think so. It, it has to be more than that. And I'm not 100% sure what is meant by that, but it is simply to me um, God's children on this earth, whoever they may be, and uh, <clears throat> to to interact and to uh, you could say treat others that you walk away with a clear conscience and that you know you've you've done to them what you would do to your best friend, to a person that you really esteem highly. Um, it, is, it is that same heart that you see in Christ when a sinner came to him. What did he do? He, he gave his best to that person. He didn't just brush them off. He was truly, uh, he truly invested himself into them. So, But <clears throat> repentance and conversion has to come first. That has to happen first. And it's like Brother Randy shared that the surrendering of our lives to Christ, it gives us a new heart and new desires and fills us with the spirit to accomplish as well for our lives. So this has to happen first. In Romans 12, 
1, 2, 3, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God had dealt to every man a measure of faith, a living sacrifice. Because we know... Uh, again, the converse of that, as I think Randy uh, spoke about in Second Timothy, when it speaks about the last days of how God gives men over to uh, reprobate minds. And uh, so... Fulfillment, finding fulfillment, because if, if we're a, I've noticed in my life, if, if I become self-serving and if I have this attitude of what's coming to me, what can I gain? You can guarantee one thing, that you will not feel fulfilled in what you do. There is no way that you feel this fulfillment of being a uh, a child of God and living this way. And I found that, I, I guess the answer to that, to, to, is, uh, to being self-centered is to serve others, to notice the needs around you. And a lot of times, we have to be careful that we don't let our emotions get mixed up in this whole mix of uh, who are we, who are who we're serving. So I've also had this conversation in the past um, or recently. Well, what if in serving others you feel that people are taking advantage of you? What do we do then? Um, because they, we feel that maybe they're taking advantage of a generous heart, taking advantage of a, a servant's heart, and we feel like we're, we're used. Um, what do we do then? Well, that is, it is a difficult question. Um, and you don't just want to give the cliched answer, well, what would Jesus do? But I think deep down, when we find ourselves in a situation like that, we feel that we're being used. Um, what can we do? These things, I think we need to also understand that it brings out something in our hearts as well something I might not even have seen that is there. A, uh, maybe we're concerned too much with self. We're concerned too much with, okay, I'm not receiving the recognition that I'm due here. I'm not, 
um, this is, I'm not getting anything out of this. So we have to be careful. I think there is a, a time to actually speak to the person about it and tell them that, hey, this is, I, f I feel this way. And uh, it's okay to have that conversation. But like I said, we also have to be careful that at the, at the end of that or in the mix, in the midst of that is not this, this uh, self or wanting to be recognized because of what we do. So in laying down our lives, I feel that we've been called to lay down our lives for one another. This is, this is in essence, if we live in community, this is who we are. We lay down our lives. We can do it grudgingly. We can do it in many different ways. Um, but if you look at the life of Christ, look at what he was about, what he lived, what he talked, what he preached, this is what you see. And especially, especially his death on the cross in laying down his life. He, he was the epitome of laying down his life for others and we look at this we sometimes look at this uh, <clears throat> idea and we say well that's just a lot of work and we forget the bigger picture we forget that in the end when we stand there before the judgment seat of Christ that we're going to be entering into life then. We're going to be entering into a place that is going to basically be the reward of all of this, of living this life, living this sacrificial life, living this life that is connected to, um, to Christ and to the Holy Spirit. And just that one day, this is, we only have one chance at this. There are also um, instances in nature that teach us about this principle of laying down our lives. And one of them is in uh, March 2007, marine biologists headed by Bruce Robinson from the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute used a remote, remotely operated vehicle to visit a deep sea site in the Monterey Submarine Canyon off of Central California. At 1,397 meters deep, they came on a female deep sea octopus protecting a brood of eggs. A month earlier, when the ROV had visited the same site, the octopus hadn't been there. Given the singular opportunity to measure the length of a brooding period from its inception, we returned to the site 18 times over the ensuing four and a half years, the scientists write. Each time we returned, we found the same octopus clinging to the vertical rock face, arms curled, covering her eggs. Continuous growth of the eggs provided evidence that it was the same clutch of eggs throughout this whole time period. The female octopus was also easily identifiable by her telltale scars. After 53 months in the autumn of 2011, the eggs hatched. When the scientists visited the last time, the eggs were empty and the mother was gone, presumably perished. Many octopus mothers, such as the giant Pacific octopus, are known to lay eggs only once in their lives. They guard and care diligently for the eggs. 
all the while losing weight and weakening due to the lack of food. They also change color, usually taking on a ghostly pallor. The mothers often die soon after the eggs hatch, essentially sacrificing themselves for the success of their young. There is no evidence that deep sea octopuses females deep sea octopus females feed while brooding. Potential prey in the form of crabs and shrimp were frequently in close attendance around the brooding female that we monitored. However, the only interactions we observed <clears throat> were when she pushed these crustaceans away. Moreover, the mother even refused food when the ROV offered her pieces of crab. The scientists also never observed the mother away from her eggs during the 18 visits over the years. So I think God places these things in nature to teach us a principle that life is not necessarily about ourselves. And the challenge is, what are we showing with our life? Are we laying it down for others? And we cannot be um, deceived in knowing that others around us are blind. Our children aren't blind to the fact that what they see, our wife isn't, and our brothers aren't either. And <clears throat> people see it. People know it if our hearts and our lives are being poured out for others. So what do we want to leave behind? Do we want to leave behind a, a testimony of someone who has given their best for Christ and for others? In Acts chapter 9, verses 36 to 42, in closing, there's this, this woman. It says, Now there was a Joppa, a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom they, when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And forasmuch as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. And Peter arose and went with them, and when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping and shewing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put, forth, put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed, and turning him to the body said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand, and he lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. So this testimony <clears throat> of just of service in leaving behind a legacy of what people remember you as. So, we have to remember that our lives are not our own. We have been bought with a price. And that Christ is not a taskmaster. 
he's not someone who is bent to he wants to receive these good works but it should flow out of a genuine heart after god a genuine heart to truly serve others because we care and in not expecting a reward In 1 Peter verses two, chap, uh, verse, or chapter 2, verse 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness into his marvelous night. The world is, especially in this day and age, you're looking for something. And just, <clears throat> I recently, or just this morning, I read a, short article on a death row inmate and he eventually hooked up with a with an atheistic uh, chaplain believe it or not a chaplain who's who's an atheist i don't know how that works but it seems like you can be an atheist and a chaplain what what struck me about this guy as they got together and talked um was It just reminded me that they were ever searching, but never coming to the truth. But what happened with this with this guy um, was that the people that came to him before, he felt they were simply peddling a uh, a ticket to heaven. They were saying, you don't have to go to hell, you just pray this prayer and you can go to heaven. And it's a misrepresentation of who God is and who Christ is. And they missed, they missed their chance with this guy. He ended up being executed. And uh, basically it ends by saying that God was not involved in the whole matter. That uh, before my life, they basically came away saying there was no existence before my life, so that's what I'm expecting after I die. But the thing is, <clears throat> what are we um, showing to the world? Are we showing them something that they would desire? Are we showing them, is, is it something that they would look at and say, I want uh, what this person has, which is a genuine, a genuine heart, a genuine, a genuine heart after God, genuine caring, and in laying down our lives. <clears throat> because that's what Christ is teaching us. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. You lay down your life for one another. So, <clears throat> and greater love has no man than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And we have an our, our example in Christ. And yeah, it's, it's not always easy. It is uh, along the way we get shown many things about ourselves. But hopefully we are still at a place where we hear a testimony or we hear um, the word of God, it still moves us to, uh, to examine our own hearts and our own lives.
to see where we can improve. So God bless you. Uh, thank you.